Let us open our Bibles to the Gospel of John and the first chapter. John chapter 1. We have finished the wonderful prologue that the Holy Spirit gave us in the first 18 verses, which summarizes in brief and blunt form at times the content of the Gospel. As it lifted up the Word of God and then... Him made flesh, then only some, receiving Him and believing on Him by the regenerative power and choice of Almighty God. Brief mention of John again. And then we have the Word of God made flesh, which is the only begotten Son of God. There was no begotten Son of God until the Word was made flesh in the womb of Mary. We totally deny and reject the eternal generation of the Son invented by origin and perpetrated by the Nicene crowd of the Roman Catholic Church and Roman Empire. So we come to verse 19 and I read to you the next 10 verses. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Amen. And amen to the reading of God's word. It will not return to him void. It shall bear fruit according to his perfect divine will. And we thank him for it. 2,000 years ago, the two most important men in human history burst on the scene in the Middle East around the Jordan River. One was inferior and preparatory to the other. The one that followed was superior and is the Lord of heaven and earth. And you heard about him from Psalm 110 by our young brother. With the wonderful prologue to this gospel being over, we get to these verses about John the Baptist and the details of his ministry. We had a glorious introduction to Jesus Christ in those first 18 verses. Always and only do we want to see Jesus Christ in the Scriptures because Jesus himself said that they all bear witness of him and testify to him. John's purpose in writing this gospel and in writing his three epistles 
and then in writing the book of the Revelation, is to give us the factual history and doctrine of Jesus Christ that we might believe. And that believing, we might know that we have eternal life. He wrote to believers for them to know better that they had eternal life and to have greater assurance of that fact. The first details he provides after this prologue are details about the first Baptist preacher on earth. I didn't say the first Baptist church. I said the first Baptist preacher on earth. Of course, Baptist churches came out of his ministry and those of our Lord's apostles. What pioneers, what fathers in other fields have you wasted your time learning about in comparison to this inspired history? Jesus is God in the flesh, the greatest to ever touch foot on this planet. His predecessor, his announcer, the messenger to declare him and identify him to Israel was second greatest because the first greatest said he, John, was the greatest ever born of women. Who do you think is great? Christopher Columbus? For thinking he discovered the North American continent inhabited by many people who had discovered it long before him? Ponce de Leon discovering Florida? Sand, scrub pine, bugs, and salt water. The sunshine state. And he governed Puerto Rico. Or is it Robert Goddard, the father of rocket science? Lewis and Clark. They did quite a work exploring the western half of the United States. Marco Polo, who thinks he discovered China, or at least published his Discovery in China, Louis Pasteur, vaccination, fermentation, pasteurization, Robert Oppenheimer, father of the atomic bomb, Henry Ford, father of the American auto industry. These are great titans of American history, some of them. How about Hippocrates of the Greeks and modern medicine? Copernicus, father of modern astronomy, Galileo father of modern science and physics, Pierre and Marie Curie, nuclear science, Isaac Newton, the father of calculus, Euclid, geometry, Pythagoras, number theory. Or are you like most Americans, the greatest man that you can think of when you think of a father of something is James Naismith, the father of basketball. If we think religiously, do we think of Irenaeus, Tertullian, Augustine of Hippo, Augustine of Canterbury, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham? What names? I'll give you a name, two. I'll give you two names. John and Jesus. They turned the world upside down. I don't care that much for Euclid because I didn't care that much for geometry. John and Jesus changed the world. And we want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ as John presents him 
And John gives us quite a few details about John the Baptist. Let's look at the 19th verse. And look at these two men, John and Jesus. And this is the record of John. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the record written by eyewitness accounts. It is not like other religions. We have eyewitness accounts and, and seven of them, seven eyewitnesses that are witnesses in the New Testament that wrote our 27 books of the New Testament, giving us a written record of the facts of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a record recorded by eyewitnesses, not on video, but with ink on paper. It is not the hallucination or speculation of one man or even a group of men. They witnessed something that could have been disproved because they wrote their writings and findings and observations while they were still alive and while there were many other eyewitnesses alive to either corroborate or destroy the testimony that they gave of John and Jesus. Luke chapter 1 puts it this way. The first four verses of Luke about the written record of these seven men. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Theophilus had been taught the rudiments of Christianity, and Luke is going to confirm those things that he had learned. Luke said in that first verse, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. This is what gospel writers did. They declared in writing things most surely believed. Certain things. And those are the only kind of things we ever want to share, are the certain things of Scripture. And so we have in these opening words of John 1.19, and this is the record of John. Other religions don't have such a cross-reference of key witnesses. Compare this to Joseph Smith's hallucinations that he met Moroni that gave him the Book of Mormon, the, 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 the golden tablets upon which he gave his denomination, the Book of Mormon, and told him the history of the North American continent and all the other junk that Joseph Smith came up with, there were no corroborating witnesses. Compare this to Ellen Harmon's visions as the great prophetess of the Seventh-day Adventists. That poor woman, troubled since she was a child here, no one can check her because what can you say when a person says, I have been to the mountain, and I've seen a vision. What can you say? Peter has something better than that. Amen. And so does John. Amen. Compare this to the origin of Islam by a vision given by Gabriel to an illiterate trader named Mohammed who dictated it to be written down over the 23 years of his life commencing at the age of 40. Who could corroborate it? Compare it to the origin of the pantheon of gods in Greece and Rome. 
the hallucinations of men. There weren't observers or eyewitnesses of any sort. And these are great religions in the earth's history and in our country at the present time. The gods of Greece and Rome have disappeared but for fairy tales and jokes. Josephus, a Pharisee, general of the Jewish armies, captured by the Romans in the 60s A.D. What did he have to say? Considered one of the best eyewitnesses of the first century. He said, now some of the Jews, this is after Herod Antipas had his army destroyed by Aretas. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that very justly, as a punishment for what he did against John, that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him, who was a good man, and commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, both as to righteousness towards one another. What was his ministry? Reconcile fathers to sons and sons to fathers, and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. For that the washing with water would be acceptable to him, if they made use of it, not in order to the putting away or the remission of some sins, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness. That's a Pharisee, historian of that time. We have witnesses and eyewitnesses that speak of John and Jesus. And so, the words, this is the record of John. Even the Muslim's Koran identifies John the Baptist as a great prophet, although we don't care if they admit it or not. As long as the Word of God says, and, and you know we don't care what Josephus said either. It's just nice to read such agreeable testimony by an unbelieving enemy of Christ. He never said such nice things about Jesus Christ, though he did identify and admit that there was a Jesus called Christos that lived there in Palestine. The Pharisees were never lovers of Jesus except for those that God saved. Now this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Now it was a godly duty that they were questioning John the Baptist. Let's go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 13 and see this godly duty. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I don't know if any of you have heard of cold case Christianity. Cold case Christianity. An atheist was converted and he spent his life in law enforcement and he was a cold case detective and he has taken the rules of cold case authentication of events and applied them to the New Testament and he's got himself a ministry doing that. You can see some of those presentations he's had on YouTube. Deuteronomy chapter 13 beginning at verse 12. Hearsay. Where did the words hearsay come from? Uh, right here. Deuteronomy 13.12 If thou shalt hear, say, in one of thy cities, that's hearsay. You hear something because it's been said about an event going on somewhere. 
If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. Then thou shalt inquire, and make search, and ask diligently. Ask diligently. And behold, if it be truth, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every whit, for the Lord thy God. For the Lord thy God. That is why we exclude sinning church members. For the Lord thy God. And it shall be in heap forever. It shall not be built again. And there shall cleave not of the cursed thing to thine hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show thee mercy and have compassion upon thee and multiply thee as he hath sworn unto thy fathers when thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. There are things right in the sight of God and there are things wrong in the sight of God. And those that hold to the right things in the sight of God are to get rid of those that hold to wrong things in the sight of God. Those that hold wrong things we call heretics. That doesn't mean they are necessarily going to hell, though the evidence is not good for heaven. Back to John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? They were asking a good thing. They were doing something good. John had had an immediate impact on the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 that all of Judea went out to him. There were crowds following him. He was getting baptizers cramp from baptizing so many. The Bible tells us that many went out in its description of John's impact. These priests and Levites and those who sent them, being the Pharisees as we're going to learn, should have known who John the Baptist was. He stated exactly who he was in, a, in the verses coming up, but such light that is a plain admission of who I am doesn't help a blinded Israelite. God still has to open the eyes. Why couldn't Saul of Tarsus recognize why is Stephen's face shining like an angel? Wouldn't you want to question what's going on before you stone him to death? Not when you're a blinded Israelite. These priests and Levites should have known that Daniel had a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 called the 70 weeks prophecy that extended from 457 BC to 26 AD, which is the opening of the 70th year when Messiah would be brought to Israel. Because the angel Gabriel in truth this time, my previous use of his name was a lie by Mohammed. Gabriel had told David that it would be 483 years to Messiah the Prince. They should have, and there were people in Israel waiting 
for the appearance of the Messiah. They should have known. The 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel is a fabulous reading for us Gentiles now. We can look back, create a timeline for it, see it fulfilled, and we rejoice in that fulfilled prophecy, which is one of God's great things that he's given to us in the Bible that he boasts of, and he wants us to boast of it with him and to rejoice in it because he told us things he was going to bring to pass before, and he told us how long it would take, and he fulfilled it perfectly. And they asked John, who art thou? Who cares what a man's opinion is of himself? Examine his doctrine and fruit. That's what's important. Jesus is going to correct very soon the foolish notion of testifying about yourself. Look at chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 31. Look what Jesus says. If I bear witness of myself, this is Jesus speaking. Is John 5, 31 in the red writing in your Bible? If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That's a strong statement. Jesus cannot lie. But Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That sure cuts off a lot of men, doesn't it? Verse 32, there is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. And then he comes down and he says in verse 36, I have a, but I have a greater witness. Now that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist witnessed of Jesus Christ. His witness was true. In verse 36, but I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. There ought to be evidence. There ought to be evidence to confirm whether a person is sent from God or not and has a message of truth. The evidence ought to be changed lives. By their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus taught about teachers and prophets. But in this case, they wanted John to tell them who he thought he was. Elihu and Jesus condemned flattering titles given by men. Jesus said, call no man father on earth. Call no man master on earth. Call no man rabbi on earth. Because those men love to hear them addressed in public by someone calling out, Father O'Reilly, in the marketplace, Jesus said, they love to hear the sound of their name. Father O'Reilly. Jesus said, call no man father on earth. Flattering titles are taken away from men. Elihu said to Job and his three friends, if I were to use flattering titles for you, old... My maker would soon take me away. Those are good words of wisdom for us. So John didn't have much to say to help them out. He's going to tell them exactly who he is, but it didn't help them much. Of course, when you read books in Christian bookstores written by men with advanced degrees, do they want to tell you their advanced degree on the front cover? Yes. Do they want to tell you their advanced degree on the back cover? Yes. If you open the front cover, do they want to tell you more about their advanced? Yeah, yes. The back cover, yes. Why? Because it sells books. I don't want to pick on anyone's profession. My mind is drawing a blank right now. But what if you were to write a book about some subject and we have a good title for it and then say, John Smith, trash collector? Who would read it? Because they all fawn after men. Who are you, John? 
There he stood in camel's hair, a leather girdle, crunching on a grasshopper, hair down to the middle of his back, dipping some, dipping his fingers in wild honey. It wasn't even pasteurized. He's dipping his fingers in it, and he's staring at them, and they're saying, Who art thou? The first Baptist preacher. And most of them since him have been like him. Should we head to a diploma mill for advanced degrees for the truth's sake? No. You know, there's so many Christian universities out there that I could just send them a tenth of what I've produced in writing and they'd give me a doctorate this week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not an earned doctorate, that's a diploma mill. We don't do anything like that. We couldn't care less. When people write and say, who's the author of these articles? Who's the author of this website? Who's behind this website? None of that matters. The truth matters. Measure it by the Bible. Right. Quit worrying about who, whom, or what, or where. Right. Compare it to the Bible. Right. We don't want any man's attention, or we don't want any attention ourselves, or anyone's name at our website for the truth's sake. Right. Truth does not depend at all on a man's intelligence, a man's education, or a man's character. Judas Iscariot taught the truth so well for three and a half years. The other 11 apostles couldn't figure out that he was the betrayer. Noble Bereans even searched the scriptures to check out Paul, and Paul had every bit of a perfect resume. Taught privately by the Lord Jesus Christ for three years in the deserts of Arabia. Taught at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin. The man had a resume. But the Bereans still searched the scriptures to make sure he and what he was saying was in agreement with, thus saith the Lord. Amen. We always, and we want to always in the future, point everyone to the revelation of God in the scriptures. There is no merit in any man. I don't even know why I know who the smartest man was at Bob Jones University. I don't even know why he would want to tell us in the forwards of his books, that he read a book a day. What a waste of time. Polluting his mind with such garbage. Because he didn't mean a book of the Bible a day. Those of you that went there know who I'm speaking of. Verse 20. And he confessed, this is John, and John confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John had a perfect opportunity to take a little bit extra glory for himself, but he didn't. Because God's ministers, like John, like this Baptist preacher, always want to give the glory and the position to the Lord Jesus Christ. What did John not deny? He did not deny the truth, that he was definitely not the Christ. He declared the truth, that he wasn't, and he didn't say anything to undo that positive declaration. Positives and negatives combined like this are tools for total certainty about something and they are found elsewhere in the Bible, but I don't have time to take you to them. He confessed, I am not the Christ. Language could not be clearer that John denied any sense of being the Christ. It's terrible, but after the time of the apostles, a a sect arose in the Middle East, there in, in the deserts of Arabia, called the Mandaeans, that ignored Jesus and worshipped John. You know, Paul got to take care of 
some who had only been baptized in John's baptism in the book of Acts, and he rebaptized them. He, he said, have you, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, here's John's ministry. It was kind of limited. They said, we haven't even heard whether there be such a thing as the Holy Ghost. Oh, what then were you baptized unto? John's baptism. Well, John was pointing out a superior baptism that was to come, and that superior baptism is here. Would you like it? Sure. So he baptized them, and they were all speaking in tongues when Paul got done with them by laying his hands on them because it was the apostles that could dispense the Holy Spirit which had been given from Jesus to them, which had been given from God to Jesus as a reward and the spoils of the victory that he had over sin, death, hell, and the grave and the devil himself. He confessed, I'm not the Christ. John knew that an underlying suspicion that they had was that he was the Christ. We're told that in other places. You read it last night in Luke chapter 3 and verse 15. And so here he just heads them off. No, I'm not the Christ. Verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? The ignorance. John denied being Christ, but they missed Christ's messenger. Their second question should have been, and in their opinion it was, are you the messenger of the Christ? There's two persons. I hope you saw that clearly last night. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 speaks of one that is preparing the way of the Lord. So there's one preparing, and there's one using the prepared way, and his name is capital L-O-R-D, the Lord Jehovah, in Isaiah 40. Behold, I will send my messenger before my face, and the Lord. So you have a messenger, and you have the Lord, lowercase O-R-D, coming to his temple. They should have asked that question. They thought they were. They thought they were. But... They had been to Dallas Theological Seminary and had been taught dispensational hermeneutics. And the first rule of dispensational prophetic hermeneutics is this. All Bible prophecies are to be taken literally. They had Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and that said before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send Elijah the prophet. Aha! If we're going to follow C.I. Schofield and the rest of those dispensationalists, then we have to take it literally. It's got to be Elijah the prophet. And since Elijah didn't die, you know, he was carried by a chariot into heaven. He's just going to come back. Some, some literal return of Elijah the Tishbite or some transmigration of his soul or some transmigration of his body or some form of reincarnation. Elijah's going to come back literally. And that is what they meant when they said, Art thou Elias? The Bible had told about one coming. Elijah the prophet. But you know what? Instead of Dallas Theological Seminary and the things taught there and at other dispensational schools, look at Hosea chapter 12 where we are told what one of the first rules of interpreting Bible prophecy ought to be and which we try to follow. Hosea 12, this verse is special and precious. Hosea 12.10 I have also spoken by the prophets. This is God telling Israel how He had tried to help them and warn them. I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes. 
by the ministry of the prophets. Prophets do not use express literal language. Some of you have known this verse for a long time. Those of you who don't know it, never forget it. This verse is very important. When God sent His prophets to prophesy, they used similitudes. They used picture language. They used sign language. They used symbols. They used metaphors. And so it was, when Malachi 4 ends and closes out the Old Testament, it says, I will send Elijah the prophet. That is a similitude. It would be someone like Elijah the prophet. How about Revelation 1.1? The revelation which God gave unto him, which God gave... I'm going to have to read it. Revelation 1.1. This problem will get worse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. The book of the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to John. And Jesus gave it to John by sending an angel to signify it to him. To signify something is to use sign language. And so we have a great number of symbols and signs and, yea, similitudes in the book of Revelation. Let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Art thou Elias? Their question was based on Malachi 4. They knew the scriptures. But their literal hermeneutic, the hermeneutics is the science of Bible interpretation. Their literal hermeneutic, their C.I. Schofield hermeneutic, Their obsession with taking things literally ruined any hope of the truth presented by a similitude. They expected literal Elijah to return from heaven where he had been taken. They thought a return from heaven for he didn't die. Or they thought some other lie as I mentioned to you. Even the apostles were confused by this error that was taught among the Jews. Look at Matthew chapter 17. The fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 is John the Baptist, without a doubt, completely, finally, settled, never to be repeated. There is no part of it yet outstanding. Elijah is not coming in the future. But the C.I. Schofieldites still believe that Elijah has to come. He came 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 17 Three apostles are on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is glorified. And verse 3 tells us that Moses and Elias, another the Greek form of Elijah, was there talking with Jesus. And as they came down from the mountain, verse 9, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples, that is three of them, asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? See, they had just seen Elijah. They knew that Elijah hadn't been there yet. Why do the scribes, the ones that should know the Bible better than anyone else, why do they say that Elijah has to come before you, Lord? Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. That's the prophecy of him. He would come first. But I say unto you that Elias has come already. He's already fulfilled that prophecy. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. 
Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that He spake unto them of John the Baptist. Now look where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And the the apostles themselves were confused about the identity of the fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5, and 6. But Jesus straightens it out and tells them, it's John the Baptist. Come back to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. This is wonderful, simplistic truth. God has revealed these things to babes and hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Even so it seemed good in thy sight, Holy Father. And we thank thee that we're your babes. And anything that we can do to show you more that we're your babes, we'll do it. We know nothing. We are nothing. We're the least of all your people and especially the least of all your servants. Show us your truth. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist. In verse 7 he said, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? You folks, why did you go so far from Jerusalem and cross the Jordan River to see John? And he's explaining that John's the greatest ever born of women. In verse 11. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. John the Baptist introduced the kingdom of heaven. He introduced the kingdom of God. They are synonyms for each other. He introduced the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are synonyms for each other. John introduced it, and the violent took the kingdom. It's the violence that you need in your life to change your life. The violence was repenting of their sins, burning their books, changing their lives to get into the kingdom of heaven and to be baptized by John. If you read Luke chapter 3 last night, you saw the change that John required of each segment of society that was there at his baptism. That's violently changing your life to please the God of heaven. Did Saul of Tarsus violently change his life? He went to get Christians to put him in prison, and he ended up preaching in the synagogue that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 13, for all the prophets in the law, that is the Old Testament, that is the second dispensation of the world, was until John. And if he will receive it. So I ask you right now, will you receive it? And if he will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. The prophecy of Malachi 4, 5 and 6 that says he was supposed to come has been fulfilled if ye will receive it. But the Jews wouldn't receive it and the dispensationalists today won't receive it. But Jesus said, if ye will receive it. I do. I do. I gladly receive it, Lord, because you said it. Verse 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But those that don't have ears to hear couldn't understand it. They were still looking for Elijah the Tishbite. Back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. When Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist, the angel told Zacharias, her husband, John's father, that your son is going to come and have a ministry in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's how he was like Elijah. And he wore rough, hairy garments just like Elijah. You can go read that about Elijah. A man comes into a king's room and says, there's a man out there prophesying. Tell me what he looks like. He's got a hairy garment on. He's got a leather, he's got a girdle of leather. 
Oh, that's Elijah. He was known. And so prophets thereafter, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us that false prophets would go around in camel hair and leather girdles so that they could look the part. You know, our poor brother in Nigeria went to the U.S. Embassy a few weeks ago, but was fourth in line after three other fraud preachers who were wearing the backward collar junk trying to get into America as ministers. Remember? I read that story to you. Men will wear clothes to look differently, to look like a prophet. We don't ever want to distinguish ourselves uh, by wearing clothes. No minister does. No Baptist preacher should ever distinguish himself. When I see a Baptist preacher in some purple robe or something in his pulpit, just want to, you know, it's terrible. Terrible. Shouldn't happen. Art thou Elias? What does John say? No, I'm not Elijah literally, but I am Elijah prophetically. Let me help you understand. No, they didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. That's why Jesus spoke in parables to this generation of Jews, because they were blinded. He spoke in parables so that they would not see, would not hear, would not understand, and be converted, and John didn't help them. He knew exactly, he was Elijah the prophet prophetically, but he didn't explain that to them because they were looking for John, for Elijah literally, and he wasn't that. John did not help them. He left them in blindness, though he stood there wearing Elijah's clothes. John was the prophesied Elijah, but they were too literal. God owes the truth to no man after Eden because we chose a lie in the Garden of Eden. Truth is a blessing and a privilege that he gives us. Elijah the prophet came. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. We've got to read it. It's not far away. There are the last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. This is useful for small pill evangelism when you're speaking to people out there in the world. If you want to get into a conversation about the last two verses of the Old Testament, then you can take them to where I just took you. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 17, Luke 1, verse 17. Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That great and dreadful day of the Lord has been described up there in verse 1, that there's going to be a fire that's going to burn up all those that do wickedly, and it's not going to leave them neither root nor branch. That's easy to figure out. John the Baptist picked up that message and said, There's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit first, Pentecost, and fire, judgment, 70 A.D., burned up their city. He said, ye generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This one that's coming after me already has the fan in his hand to to flame up God's judgment, to burn up the chaff, but the wheat will be gathered into his garner. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse, which he did in the judgment of Jerusalem. That first half of verse 6, the the angel said to Zacharias about the ministry, he quoted it, of John the Baptist. Elijah is John the Baptist because Jesus said so. And the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord is what John and Jesus warned that generation about. 
Elijah the prophet has come, it's John the Baptist. The Lord came to his temple, it's Jesus the Christ. And the great and dreadful day of the Lord is now 1,946 years old. And that is what happened in 70 A.D. We receive the testimony of Jesus gladly, and we're glad to have ears that hear and eyes that see this truth. Art thou that prophet? What do they mean by this question? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we'll see what they meant. They had a legitimate question here, though, if they understood the Scriptures, they would have known by him saying, I am not the Christ, that he is not this prophet. How can men who are scribes, who have to copy the Word of God letter by letter, some of whom had memorized it, they knew the middle verse, they knew the middle word, they knew it backwards, frontwards, forwards, they wore it in boxes strapped to their forehead, they wore it in boxes strapped to their arms, not understand it. Because God blinded them. Israel did not like God talking to them because it was a terrifying experience. And so God kindly... And we should be thankful for the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's the prophecy. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. Of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Remember, they told Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore. It's too terrifying. You go up, talk to God. Then you come down and tell us what God said. And so Moses did that, but Moses would have to put a veil over his face because his face would be shining, having been in the presence of the glory of God. And here's a prophecy of another prophet like Moses that is coming that would be between God and men, but he would be raised up out of the Jewish brethren of that nation. I hope you understood the 15th verse. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, that's when they were at the base of Mount Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying... Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. This is what Israel screamed out. Neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, Moses speaking, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. That is, the Lord said to Moses, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. I like this verse. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And did he ever. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, we'll see the fulfillment of it. Acts chapter 3. Art thou that prophet? Notice. We have this very special demonstrative adjective in front of the word prophet. There was a particular prophet that they all knew about, should know about, that didn't even have to be identified nor a passage of scripture quoted because this was a heavy prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18 that there was going to be another person like Moses. Here's uh, Acts chapter 3. Peter's unloading for more of the gospel after the day of Pentecost. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. 
Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Art thou that prophet? That prophet was Jesus. That prophet was the Christ. That prophet was the Messiah. John had already told them I'm not the Christ, but they were all confused. They were looking for another man like Moses. And so John says in John chapter 1 and verse 21, No. Verse 22, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Listen, if you don't help us out soon, we don't have anything to say. When we go back and those that are paying us, those that are befriending us, helping us, sponsoring us, we won't be able to give them an answer. Verse 23, quotes from Isaiah 40. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. The scripture was plain enough. He was a preacher of repentance in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. They had overlooked the prophecy that John required that there were two people. An announcer and Christ. An announcer, a a messenger and the Lord. They were confused. We never want to be confused about simple things. Lord, show us what we don't see. That we might see things clearly. We will receive anything you show us. In Jesus' name, show us. John chapter 1. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he quotes Isaiah 40 in verse 3. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And you read that last night in Isaiah 40. This is why we have preparatory readings, so that you can read them without me turning you to them right now. I would like to turn you to Mark chapter 1 and see how well you read last night. Mark chapter 1. You should all remember this text. But we want to show someone that their English version or their Hebrew version is wrong in the Old Testament. Where do we go? 2 Samuel 21, 19. And we ask, who killed Goliath in your Bible? Because they have the wrong person killing Goliath in 2 Samuel 21, 19 in English versions and in the Hebrew Masoretic text. What about the New Testament? Right here. I love this verse. I can't believe that anybody beyond kindergarten would ever sign off on an English version or a Greek version of the New Testament that's got this one wrong. Right. Here it goes. Now I'm going to read it as if I were reading a modern version. Mark 1, 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All versions, English and Greek, say Isaiah the prophet. Does your Bible have a little footnote there for the quotation of Mark 1-2? Where is it from in the Bible? Malachi 3-1. You read it last evening. What does the footnote say in their Bibles? Malachi 3-1. What does that footnote mean about their intelligence? They don't have any. 
What does it mean about the divine stamp of approval on their Bibles? There isn't one. Mark 1-2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, no, the King James says, alone, as it is written in the prophets, because verse 2 is Malachi, verse 3 is Isaiah. Okay, back to Matt John 1. That was just no charge for that little extra. I love Mark 1-2. Anytime you get nervous reading some book on textual criticism or manuscript evidence or new versions or somebody that wants to condemn the King James only position, just go to Mark 1-2, read it a couple times and look it up in their Bibles. The person that wants to condemn your King James Bible is that ignorant that he can put a footnote, this is from Malachi, but I'm going to give all the credit to Isaiah. And it's written in Isaiah. And you can read Isaiah frontwards, or you can read it backwards, and you won't find Malachi 3.1. Verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Two personages. I am making a way straight for another person. They needed to get these two people identified. They got confused because of their literal hermeneutic about Elijah. They thought that he must not be the predecessor. So if he's not the Christ and he's not the predecessor because he said, I am not the Christ, and he said, no, I'm not Elijah. What else? Who art thou then? And you're not the prophet. Who art thou then? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. But I, here's what I like in this verse. You know this. You know the Isaiah 40 in verse 3 so well, and we could preach on it for a, a while. Isaiah 40 is a wonderful passage. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Amen. Because what a comforting ministry John and Jesus had. Right. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You can find rest in me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Amen. The yoke and burden of the Pharisees was not easy or light. John and Jesus turned the religious world, even in Israel, upside down. I like the last part of verse 23, as said the prophet Isaiah. He quotes scripture. And that is the only thing we should ever quote for any position we take on anything. Thus saith the Lord. As said the prophet Isaiah. Let's make sure that we have scriptural authority for everything we ever do. John did. John, please follow this with me. John is going to, John the Baptist is going to tell that God spoke directly to him from heaven and told him about his ministry. It's verse 33. I didn't know Jesus, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, John 1, 33. God spoke to me from heaven and told me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. When they said, Who art thou? Anyone today would have said, I had a vision. I had a vision from God. God spoke to me. They would have put 33 first. And 23 second. But that isn't the Bible order. When Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration, are you, do you remember with me? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than God's voice from heaven. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter describes being on the Mount of Transfiguration and hearing the voice of God from heaven in the presence of Jesus and two other heavenly witnesses glorified when he had two other earthly witnesses, James and John, to confirm what he heard. He said in that context, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Why? Because it's in writing. Because it's the word of God. And John does the same thing. He starts off by quoting scripture. Then he tells them about his vision. I love that. Everyone today, especially in the charismatic movement, wants to talk about their visions and things they've heard first, which you can't either corroborate or condemn. Because you, Well, yes, you can condemn it because you know that the record of revelation is finished. Verse 24, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, thorns in the side of John and Jesus for the entirety of their lives. Verse 25, And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. They cannot think outside their theological box. And isn't that what happens when we run into people? They cannot think out of their predisposition of what true Christianity is. They can't think outside it. These people could only think of Christ, literal Elijah, and some prophet like Moses. And John had said no to all three. And they had missed the messenger of the before coming before Jesus. Right. Why baptizest thou then? Where do you get your authority from if you're not one of these three? But it was based on their misinterpretation of Scripture. He was Elijah, metaphorically, prophetically. And he was the predecessor to the prophet. And he was the announcer of the Christ. But they didn't see it, so they're still confused about his authority to baptize. Most men that we meet cannot accept doctrine outside their own man-made box, no matter what Bible evidence we present them. Verse 26. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He hadn't yet been revealed to Israel. I baptize with water. John admitting, dipping in water, baptizo. The Greek word means to dip in water. It was John the Dipper. Baptism and baptizer and baptist in our language is just a transliterated word from the Greek word meaning to dip, submerge, immerse in water. John admitted that he was a dipper in water since they had focused on that part of his ministry. Jews looked for miracles. John never did a miracle. It tells us that in John chapter 10. No miracles. Why did all of Judea and Jerusalem travel so far to get across the Jordan River to be baptized by John because God was moving on that place and he was calling forth his elect to meet their Savior. No miracle. Just a dipper. And before he would dip you, you had to repent of any problems in your life. You had to get your relationships corrected. You had to give away some of your assets. You had to be content with your wages. You could no longer do violence to men. If you read Luke 3 last night, he was preaching the doctrine of repentance. But no miracle. He says, I baptize with water. You see that. Because I'm nothing. I'm just here to announce someone that's coming after me. There standeth one among you. Praise the Lord, there was one standing among them. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, 
John has not yet baptized Jesus at this moment. He will baptize him the next day. At this moment, he hasn't baptized him. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. There standeth one among you that ye know not. We don't know if Jesus of Nazareth was in the crowd a mile away or ten miles away or twenty. He had seventy to travel from Nazareth. He it is. This is what it's all about, Jews. And this is what it's all about, church. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. The whole universe, the whole Bible, the whole of John's ministry was about the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your life about the Lord Jesus Christ? The universe and all of its galaxies, the entire thing is a stage for Jehovah to display His character through Jesus Christ. The creation of man and both eternal destinies of the men on this planet is for the display of God's glorious grace and of His righteous power and wrath. The Bible, from cover to cover, is the testimony of Jesus Christ throughout. John's ministry was always preparatory to getting Israel ready for the Messiah. We, church, we, who are far inferior in office and calling to John, should set Christ first in our hearts And in our lives. All for Jesus Christ. Anything for Jesus Christ. Now for Jesus Christ. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now that's a Baptist preacher. Would Paul have accepted him? The Paul who took all of his learning and eloquence and flushed it when he said, I determined not to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That illustrious Saul of Tarsus who said in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory save in one thing, the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We're totally separate. I couldn't care less about them. They couldn't care less about me because my all is on Jesus Christ and they hate Him. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. Foolish denigration or deprecation, foolish self-deprecation like limp body language, I've seen it, can easily be self-righteous pride. Jesus never walked like, Jesus never went. Listen to what the Bible says. Lift up the hands that hang down. Straighten your feeble knees. Stand up and be a man. Let's declare the truth of Jesus Christ. Some limp handshake. I'm just not worthy. Who said that? We are worthy by Jesus Christ. Paul was persuaded. He knew whom he had believed. And was persuaded that he was able to keep him unto that day. Keep his soul unto that day. But let's keep the Baptist's example of exalting Jesus Christ and denigrating self in comparison to him. And so John says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. He came six months after John in birth. He came six months after John in ministry. 
They commenced at 30, but John was six months older. So Jesus came after John, but he was preferred before John because he's the Word of God, eternal in nature. The second person in the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but there was no John in the beginning. And he's preferred before me because he's more important than me. And in dignity, he's greater than me. And in eternity, he only has eternal nature. Whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. We can denigrate ourselves like Paul while we declare the glory of Christ with confidence and power and conviction. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Paul said, I am less than the least of all saints. Paul said, he was not meet to be called an apostle, but when pressed. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. And there wasn't any pride there that wasn't in any of his other statements. It's just the context and the need for what is said. What a verse. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. There's one you don't know. He's standing among you. He's been standing among you for 30 years. You think he's the carpenter's son. I know better. I know what verse 33 says. He's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And he's going to baptize this nation with fire. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Bethabara. We're told by the Apostle John exactly where these things were done. Look at what the verse says. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan. The Jordan runs north and south. Jerusalem is on the west side of the Jordan. If it's beyond Jordan, then it's on the east side of Jordan. So Bethabara is on the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem, where John was baptizing. By God's choice, John the Baptist wasn't conveniently located in Jerusalem. He was out in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan River. Though born in a city of Judah, the Bible tells us that, Luke chapter 1, verse 39, John preached on the other side, Jordan. A buffer of distance from religious rulers in Jerusalem provided some peace. Can't deny that. But we need to remember this. It may, and most certainly will, take more effort to find a Baptist preacher. I run into it every week of my life. Is there a church like yours in my city? Every week. Bethabara. Do you know what it means? When we come upon a word like Bethabara, that is not an English word, but a Hebrew word, we look for the definition of a name. Bethabara. The house of Ford. The house of passage. What's a ford? A ford is a shallow place in a river or other water, body of water, where a man or beast may cross by wading. Bethabara. A place where the Jordan was shallow enough that you could cross it by wading. Now I see two excellent things in that. Though he was on the other side of Jordan in the wilderness preaching, it was convenient for them to cross there and meet him. The other thing I see there is how deep does a Baptist preacher want the water for baptism? What's the perfect depth? A ford to wade. It's deep enough to wade through, and that's what Bethabara is. Some think Bethabara was where Israel passed into Canaan the first time under Joshua 
And they make a whole big religious deal out of that, but I don't know that, so I don't make any big religious deal out of it. It was to this place that our Lord traveled from Galilee to be baptized by John, 70 miles distance by foot. And so you can read in the next verse, look at verse 29, which we'll get to next Lord's Day. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said yesterday, this is he of whom I said yesterday, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And then he explains that God had told him, when you baptize someone and the Spirit descends on him and remains, that's the one. And the Spirit of God descended upon our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the record. Verse 21, I mean verse 19, verse 19, this is the record of John, that is John the Baptist. So as we learn about Jesus Christ, we learn about the Baptist preacher that God sent. Like John 1, 6 told us, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. We have a record. John the Baptist, the first preacher, first Baptist preacher, first Baptist preacher to baptize and to announce the Lord Jesus Christ. And you read last night in Luke chapter 3 that to be baptized by John, you had to repent of your sins to be acceptable to the one that was coming. But he directed all attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He it is who is preferred before me. Though obviously God is blessing my ministry by many thousands crossing the Jordan to be baptized by me, there is one standing among you who is preferred before me. Because he was before me, he says that twice in this chapter, he's greater than me in dignity, he is eternal in nature and I am not. And he's the one you should believe on. And he's the one I'm preparing for. He's the messenger of the covenant. He's the one that's going to deliver the people and burn up his enemies. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. What will you do with this incredible record of two great men, John and Jesus? You have spent many hours to learn names and achievements of worthless men. These two men are the greatest men ever on earth. The second is the Lord of glory. He's a perfect example for our lives. Does your life look like his? He is a perfect teacher. His doctrine is discipleship by sacrifice. He says if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.